Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 a new trend in christian critique and then we're joined by pedro and lucy gomez to talk about their work assisting migrants in elk grove village you're listening to the common good happy friday friends welcome to the common good here on am 1160 hope for your life alongside aubrey sampson my name is brian Fromm. it's really good to have you aubrey we made it to the end of the week Halloween weekend is upon us. We're going to talk about that later. And Halloween weekend is also, I mean, I realize Halloween is actually Monday. Yes, so it's the weekend of Halloween. It's almost our new producer's birthday. I was unaware. Yeah, Laura Finch's birthday, our brand new producer. Her birthday is Halloween, and so uh, we'll have to celebrate her. There we go. Yeah. With candy. With lots of candy. Do you know where I grew up in New Jersey? Uh, tell me if this is where it was like where you grew up, but obviously it's not around here. I think East Coast people are just meaner than Midwest people. Oh, interesting. The night before Halloween was called Mischief Night. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I thought this, this was like real? a thing everywhere. I Yes. I've never heard of October this. October 30th is Mischief Night. Okay. Now... Good Christian me, I did not go and partake Absolutely, of this. Absolutely, you did not. You were at the pool praying. Exactly. It was literally people went out, kids, teenagers, and did mischief, knocking over no. mailboxes, egg in houses, what? or like, you know, toilet papering trees. I'm going to Google mischief, mischief night because this night? was not just a Long Valley, New Jersey I have thing. I've never heard of this thing. It's sort of like Fat Tuesday before Mardi Gras. Like you get everything out of your system or something. Are you ready? Yeah. Mischief night, according to our friend the internet, yep. mischief night is an informal holiday on which children, teenagers, and adults engage in jokes, pranks, vandalism, and or parties. It is known by a variety of names, including Devil's Night, Gate Night, uh -uh, Goosey Night, night, Moving Night, Cabbage Night, and Mat Night. (laughs) Wow. Cabbage Night. You're throwing cabbage at doors or something. Can I just read to you the very beginning of it? And then we'll move on from Mischief Night. Absolutely. Time.com. Time Magazine has uh, a brief history of Mischief Night. Let me just read to you the first sentence. Mischief Night has a strong presence in the New Jersey area. In the coastal northeast. This is real. This is a this is a regional thing. I just assumed mischief night was like a, a thing. And so yes, wow. that will be Sunday night, but apparently wow. we're too we're too nice out here in the uh in Midwest. the Midwest. People Man. Like I grew up in I didn't grow up in like, you know, uh, the rough areas of New Jersey, but still, even where I grew up, people just aren't as nice as they are here. Were they like was that like they're smashing pumpkins that night and stuff too? Oh, for sure. Wow. For mischief. sure. If I was on Twitter, I'd be tweeting about Mischief Night. I mischief feel like you need to night. do that. Yes. Wow. Mischief Night okay. is a thing. I always describe New Jersey this way versus here. Yeah. In New Jersey, you would not have been able to have anything remotely like the four-way stop that we have here. Because <laughs> you know, the, the, the only reason the four-way stop works here is because people are orderly about it. Yes. All right, you got here first, or if we all got there first, the person to the right goes first. There would constantly be four cars wrecking in where I grew up because people just aren't like that. Yeah, that is so 
funny. So, okay, I feel like I'm learning. I a lot want from to you. encourage some of our listeners to uh, initiate mischief night on I, Sunday night. I feel like you should start the trend. This is it. It mischief starts night. now. Hashtag mischief night, led by Brian from hashtag night. Brian from on Sunday night. Okay. It begins. I'm going to make some mischief, Brian. I'm going to make some mischief. I want <laughs> you to out. tell Kevin. Watch I want out, you to go, West Chicago. Hey, Kevin, mischief night. Sunday. <laughs> I'll bet you he'd enjoy it. But Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'm already there. Starting now. So, so speaking of Christian mischief, I'm not sure that's going to work here. Uh, your former co-worker, Brett, McCa- uh, Brett McCracken, wrote an article at the Gospel Coalition that I'm not sure he saw the amount of pushback it was going to get on Twitter. Oh, Okay. But I want you to read. I want to read the beginning of it to you and get your thoughts. It's okay. it's titled this: "Stop throwing pastors under the bus." Mm. Brett starts this way. I've noticed an increasingly prevalent genre of online evangelical commentary in which pastors are shamed because they're insufficiently vocal about this or that outrage or not militant enough in the culture war. Increasingly, it seems. There's a lot of social media mileage in throwing pastors under the bus. The formula is familiar. A highly online Christian takes to social media to put generic, quote, pastors on blast by unfavorably comparing them to secular thought leaders or politicians who are supposedly more courageous truth tellers. But is this a good faith critique? He asks, is this helpful? So you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I wonder this because let me tell you what the pushback was all over Twitter. No, no, no. We are finally in the era of social media where pastors are being kept to task for not speaking up, mm. for not speaking out against abuse yeah. or speaking out against, you know, whatever culture yeah. moment of the day is. Brett's going, this is unhelpful. And there were many online people going, no, pastors are finally having a reckoning. Where, mm. where are we on this? You know, I, I feel like I have gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth on this. And where I'm at today, you might ask me a different day. Mm-hmm. There are certain topics that I will talk about that I feel very passionately about that I'd, I'd like to see change in the church. Uh, and, and in fact, we've done, we did that earlier this week. So I want to be mindful of the like log in my own eye. Simultaneously, I have started to get deeply uncomfortable with if it's not my community. Um, if it's not my place of worship, if it's not my specific expression of the church, then I don't think it's up to me to critique that pastor. Or if I'm going to do it, I need to do it like in relationship mm. with that pastor. Now, and I think he, that's what he's calling the question here. Yeah. And so I it, and this is where I'm saying I have mixed feelings about this because I don't think a pastor that's being abusive should be allowed to continue in abuse. Um, and, and so I'm glad some of these stories have gone out. I think it's brought some change and some reckoning and some seriousness to the church. But I do think where I've struggled is it's beginning to feel like a cottage industry to to tear down churches, to tear down pastors. And I feel like it lacks some fear of God. Mm. And not that the pastor is God, but the church is God's idea. The church is the yeah. Lord's bride. And... And so I don't know, Brian. I mean, you can hear me even now. I'm wrestling with, uh, yes, no, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, here's, here's where I struggle. Um, there's a difference. I really do believe this between like your pastor bugs you because of something they're doing or not doing. And like, you've been abused by yes. your pastor. Yes, yes, yes. And when the pastor is acting, um, uh, 
irresponsible criminal um, misusing their post, their mantle, that definitely needs to come out. If it's just like you're annoyed with something they're doing or not doing, that to me feels different and maybe not the place to go to social media about. So Brett makes one interesting point, uh, kind of a sidebar point here. He does say just because you're not seeing your pastor comment on stuff on social media doesn't mean they don't care. So this was a tricky one for us during, um, especially during like some of the racial racial tensions, like right after George Floyd was killed, because Kevin was saying things in some places and we were even saying things on our church social media, but he wouldn't comment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were like, we need to see you on your page Mm. comment. So for some people, it is a big deal, but for others, it's not. So this is this. Maybe this is a church community. I think that's right. I think thing. because that is what he's talking about. He said a lot of people won't critique their own pastor; they'll critique "quote unquote" the pastor. But he says this. I want to get you. I want to get how he ends. Okay. Because this is what got a lot of pushback online. Okay. Don't throw pastors under the bus. Get on the bus with them. Mm-hmm. Help them repair flat tires and avoid potholes. If you get lost, pull out the map and help get the bus back on track. Don't jump off if the ride gets bumpy, and if the pastor driver is tempted to turn around, encourage them to keep going, pressing on fearlessly in the pilgrim way. I think this is where your differentiation is good. Uh, There are certain things that the pastor should get thrown off the bus for. Absolutely. And I think Brett McCracken would agree with that. I would, too. I do, too. But I think he would also say that list is getting way too long. Yeah. And that as a general rule— Let's recognize that as a church, a local body, we're on a bus together. Yeah. We're not trying to get off the bus. We're not trying yeah. to steer the bus. Yeah. We're trying to say, how can I be supportive? Understanding there are times that the pastor is, quote, unquote, disqualified to be the driver anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a that's a really good point. Like, there are times when the pastor does need to get off. And there are times when we remember we're on mission together as a community. But I'm, I'm, it's interesting to me that so many people pushed back on they that did. one. They yeah. did. Coming up next, uh, there is uh, – we talk a lot about the immigrant crisis and the immigrants that have been bussed all over the country. Did you know that a large number of immigrants have been bussed to Elk Grove Village? Yeah, to the La Quinta. I just heard about right this. Right where you and I are sitting doing mm-hmm. our show right now. Not the La Quinta, but in the town, yeah, the Elk Grove yeah. Village. Uh, And there is an outreach that is trying to help with this situation. And we're going to talk to Pastor Pedro and Lucy Gomez from House of Restoration Community Outreach. They're going to talk about what is going on right here in our own village. You're Mm. going to want to hear that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. And Aubrey, over the last months now, one Mm -hmm. of the things that we've talked on and off about but it feels very removed is the story of uh, the immigrants, immigrants basically being bused to different places yeah. throughout the country. I think what a lot of people don't know is there have been busloads of immigrants sent right into our backyard, yes. literally the town that our studio is in here in Elk Grove. Yep. Uh, and, and so we wanted to kind of personalize this a little bit. And with that in mind, we are thrilled to be joined Uh, by Pastor Pedro and Lucy Gomez from the House of Restoration Community Outreach. They're doing a lot of work that we're going to get to hear about. But first of all, Pedro, Lucy, thanks so much for joining us. And Pedro, let's start with you. Uh, Tell us about what's going on right here in our backyard in Elk Grove. Well, what's happening is that uh, we've had many, many migrants that have been bused from Texas to this hotel. We've been there for uh, a little bit over a month, I'd say a month and two, a month and a half. 
And we responded to the call to the need of the city of Elk Grove Village. When we heard this on the news, since we are involved with the communities out there, uh, wherever the need is at, that's where House of Restoration, we, we quickly get planted. And, and we, I responded to the call the next day when I saw this in the news. And when I went to City Hall, I requested a meeting with the uh, mayor of Elk Grove Village. But being that he's been so busy, I just went myself mm. to the hotel. Uh, the Lord just led me to going. Mm. And when I got there, I, I, saw, I saw that there were many of them outside the hotel and inside the lobby. And I offered our services, being that we are the hands and feet of Christ. I went in there and I spoke to um, the agency that was heading the, heading the program right now over there and i spoke to them and i said you know my name is pastor pedro gomez and we are with house of restoration community outreach i i'm we're responding to the call of the city and we want to see how we can be of help you know help uh, in, in helping the migrants uh, whether it is you know feeding them clothing them resources that we also provide how can we help you so they they told us pastor you know what we really need the help Thank you for coming because you are one of the first people wow. that has come through these doors to offer their help. Wow. I said, praise God. Then you, I said, praise God. Then you know what? Then I know that I heard from the Lord right. just through the news, watching the news. And, uh, and then she started to introduce me to the staff, to the agency. And uh, me, I met some of the migrants also. I started to just shake hands and introduce myself. And since then, we started to gain trust. Mm. with them and we've established a beautiful relationship with them to a point to where now they're calling us you know they're calling us their pastors oh, right now so it's a, it's a beautiful thing because that's been my prayer our one of our prayers in these last days is father give us a new tribe give mm. us a people lord in these last days father mm. that you know what that will that will start off this revival, Lord, that is needed in these times, mm. it's, it, especially in the country, because, you know, as, as, a, as a nation, we can sometimes, you know, or we can sometimes forget where, where we've come from, where we've been. Yeah. And, you know, just hearing the stories of each and one of these individuals is really heartbreaking. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, I've heard so, much, so many of them that I, I said, I, I told one of them, I said, we can be spoiled as a nation. We we get everything that we have, you know what? And we don't treasure the things that we have so close, so near to us. But these people, they treasure it. Mm. They treasure, you know what, being here. Mm. They, you know, just getting here and being able for them, being able uh, for them to work, find employment, and be able to do something with their lives and for their families. You know what? That's what they. That's what they want to do. And we're just thankful that we can be be here. At the right time, at the right place, this is all God's timing. And we are so grateful to the Lord for giving us this opportunity because this is a new assignment for us. We're mostly out on the streets. We're the hands and feet of Christ, going from city to city, providing the resources that the Lord has has given us. And this is, like I said, a new assignment to where it's a greater greater number because right now we're working with over 100 105 migrants right now wow. in that hotel, uh, and that's in just in one place. There's over, I believe there's over 12 sites or more uh, throughout the throughout the state of Illinois, mm. and we are we what we're planning is to continue to go from place to place, 
with the permission of the state of Illinois, which we've established also a relationship with them to be able to provide these resources. And one of the main things that they really need is healing, healing. And we're providing the spirit, you know, that spiritual guidance, Amen. the word of God, we're bringing that to them. And that's something that they really needed. And they have, uh, they have told them that told us themselves, pastor, you know what? We really need to, we really need to congregate. We really want to come into a place where we, where, where we can meet with you. And I told them, you know what? We are working on that. And I know that the Lord is uh, is opening up doors for us because little by little we're seeing that as we go, the Lord is already providing what we need for this place that uh, that we are praying for. Because the last thing we want, Brian and Aubrey, is that after the elections they find themselves on the street. Mm. Yeah. That's the last thing we want to hear, and we want to be able as a as a people, as a people of God, as a church, we want to be able to receive them. If something like that happens, that we have a place because we've seen and we've observed through this time that, you know, that not many people, that many are called, but few are chosen and few are responding to this call. Mm. Not everybody wants to get their hands dirty. And I say that in a good sense because we have, we, there's people that have mega churches, have big churches, whatever size church, they have the place but I don't see them doing the work. Yeah. We don't have the place, but we're out here doing the work. Yeah, and what we're, what we're praying for is that we can have that place and that we can call it, a, that they can call it a home, a safe haven where we can continue to, you know, pastor them and continue to support and continue to provide the resources. Amen. Oh, amen. Amen. And Lucy, we'd love to hear from you for those who are listening and are just so thrilled about what you and your husband are doing and how you're serving these migrants, how can the rest of us help? What are some of the needs that are crucial right now? Our, our main need right now, like my husband said, knowing um, that these people took them 30 days or more to get here, going through jungle, mm. going through different um, countries. Some of them seen death. Some of them were raped. Some of them were were um uh, mm. they were mugged uh mm. beaten so knowing what the trauma they have came through we want to be able we created a GoFundMe to be able to raise funds maybe there's churches that say hey you know we're, we can't be out there but we'll be able to support your ministry to be able to get this place maybe there's churches right now that are empty um that's our cry right now to the lord lord you have given us the wisdom, the grace, and by the love of God, and His love is what, what causes us, it compels us to do what we're doing. And we just need a location to be able to minister to these lost souls that are, that are in need of a Savior. They're yeah. broken, and, and God has chosen us for such a time as this to come out of the four walls to be able to take the Word, because what brings healing is the Word of God. What brings healing is, is prayer. And we were able to create that break that wall that they had and just come in and showing them, like they said, there's people that come in that they'll just forget about them. But no, God calls us to you come in, you know, be that, 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 that voice, mm-hmm. that love as, as, as John the Baptist came out and calling, crying out in the wilderness, you know, and Isaiah saying, who will go for me? And we we're responding to the, to the voice of God and saying, Lord, here I am, send us. You know, so how far are we willing to go as a body of Christ? You know, we're not here to compete. I mean, God is coming for one church. Mm -hmm. That's what I see. And if you can't come out, my my heart cry is, 
they look at our website. I mean, the the pictures they speak louder than anything else. And we're out there. We just need the support of churches to come alongside and say, hey, well, let's start pushing this GoFundMe. We'll, let's, if somebody has a, a property, maybe they're not using a church, and they can say, here, you guys are doing the work. We can't do it, but we want to come along yeah. you. Like if we're there and here, just go for it. Because there's a lot. I mean, one place they're, cry, they're crying out to us. We're getting calls at midnight. We're getting calls at 1 in the morning. They're, we're just nonstop. Yeah. You know, yeah. so wow. I believe as a body, we can come as a whole to be able to build these communities that, that right now they can't go back. So they're yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what, what is God going to call his people? That's right. I mean, we don't know they're entertaining angels either. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. So we're living in these last days and what are we going to do as a body of Christ? Can we come along, you know, each side and say, let's support, um, let's help you guys. And what can we do? So, you know, and that's what our main cry is right now. That's we, great. We're in need of a location. We created a GoFundMe. Um, we were just out of, almost at the midnight yesterday. This is every day, you know. Um, I have a 10-year-old that we homeschool. I mean, we have our, our, our small group in our church, but there is a lot of work that is needed. There's over a 1,000 migrants mm. here. In the- one location, there's 400. Another one, there's 300. Another one, there's 250. There is a lot. We can't reach them all. Yeah, mm. that's right. That website is houseofrestorationinc.org, houseofrestorationinc, inc.org. You'll see a big, I'm looking at it right now, there's a banner for the GoFundMe page, and you can help. Pastor uh, Pedro and Lucy Gomez from the House of Restoration Community Outreach doing unbelievable work right here in our backyard. Uh, we're praying for you guys. We're cheering you on. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Brian and Aubrey. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having us, and have a blessed day. You You too. too. You too. You're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Brian. Yes. Did you grow up in a Halloween family or one of those anti-Halloween families? Very. uh, I don't know that we'd be pro-Halloween, but I dressed up every year. yeah. I went trick-or-treating every year. There was never like a... You know, some sort of fake thing that we tried to do yeah. as a Christian church. No, I was I was out there. I was hustling. I was getting that candy. <laughs> yes, you were hustling. I was hustling. Okay, so I also grew up in a, a Halloween ha- uh, family. I guess pro Halloween does seem a little bit strong, but like we dressed up as long yeah. as I can remember. We dressed up. We went trick or treating. I think I dressed up as a woman once for school. <laughs> Believe that happened once. Oh wait, are you ready for mine? Yes. I was Pee Wee Herman one year for. <laughs> Halloween. Was this before his issues? <laughs> this was before his issues. This was the big Pee Wee's. I mean, I don't know if it was before his issues, oh, but w- it was, you know, before people knew about his issues, Pee Wee's Playhouse days. So I once, I, I shouldn't throw stones here because. Were you also I, No, 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 I was not. <laughs> but I do remember one time for a birthday party going to, uh, so it was like a sleepover. So we went, maybe we went to the movies or we rented it. Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I loved Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That yeah. was such a good, that's probably not a great movie, but it at the time, at the it time, was a really great movie. Yes, my guess is if we watch it now, we'd be like, what did we yeah, see why, in this? Why but did yes. we like this? Large March. The, um... Large March, yes, yes. <laughs> and the, the Alamo scene. There's a lot about that flashing back. Okay, so I have to tell you, Brian, when I came to this area, the Midwest, uh, for college, okay. it was the first time I was around people who 
who like adamantly didn't celebrate Halloween like as part of their Christian conviction. And also this was a new one for me, too adamantly didn't do Santa Claus as part of their Christian conviction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now I've been around uh, this subculture enough that now I actually kind of understand the convictions, but I was like a little bit in culture shock, like, wait, what? So Christians across the board feel very differently about Halloween. And uh, interestingly, over at Religion News, a friend of ours we've had on the show before, Emily McFarlane Miller, is talking about this. She said... um, I don't know if you'll believe this statistic, Brian, but more than 90% of pastors encourage their people to observe October 31st, but in a particular way, ranges from avoiding Halloween completely to inviting people to Halloween-adjacent events at their churches. She says that few pastors simply ignore the fact that so many Americans participate in Halloween celebrations. This is actually being quoted by Lifeway Research Executive Director Scott McConnell. Most factors, excuse me, most pastors focus on the social nature of these celebrations, encouraging their congregations to engage with others outside of their church. So pastors are basically saying, use this as a way to build relationships with your neighbors, maybe invite them to trunk or treat or some other event or whatever. But there are a lot of Christians that say this day is evil and glorifies evil. So tell, what's your take? Like, do you talk about Halloween at all as a pastor? Do you avoid it? Do you? I have said, so our church does a trunk or treat, but not as not on Halloween, not like okay. get your kids out, do yep. this, uh, but more of a way to bless the community and, you know, have the, you know, have people come in to kind of interact with our church. Yeah. Uh, my kids go trick or treating, get all dressed up. We yeah. do, we go the whole nines. I will tell people, hey, remember, you're going to be around neighbors more than ever, more than any other yep. day. So yep. use it in such a way as like be a blessing, right? Like mm-hmm. don't be the person who doesn't answer the door on Halloween. That's, that's good. And don't give the bad candy. We yeah. all know what that is. And yeah. for the love of all good things, don't give the gospel tract. Don't or toothbrushes is where I thought you were going. No, that Neither too. That too. Yeah. Uh, but what I would say is, here's what I would say, Aubrey. I think that there are a lot of places where you could nitpick some of our Halloweens yeah, or some of our holidays yeah. culturally and go, well, they are in this roots, this roots. I get. Yeah. And it's syncretist to, you know, you're mixing right, religions or right. whatever. So mm-hmm. I get the danger of um I, I get the danger of Halloween that it being dark, but you could talk through those things, right? You yeah. could you could talk through those things with your kids and this. Ultimately, now in our culture, Halloween's fun. Yeah, Halloween's candy. Yeah, yeah. and it, the bigger deal you make of it, the more your kids are going to be like, "Oh, well, what is it?" Like you're almost highlighting it. So yeah, you don't need to watch every scary movie or dress up just, in scary costumes but, or whatever. But understand not what it maybe even started as, but what it is now. The same mm. way as Thanksgiving. Mm. The same way, you know, you can unpack all of these yeah. things. Just yeah. let your kids go have fun, get some candy. I think that's actually and dad really tax good it. advice. And dad, dad tax it. it. What so, do you think? So you came out here and you started hearing people go, I don't do Halloween. Like, what What was going on there? So for me, there's sort of three categories. There's people who reject it because it's evil, satanic, it celebrates evil. And I just thought those people, I'm going to be honest, and we might have some of those listeners, Having never been around that before, I thought those people were a little nutty and, like, super legalistic. Like, I was like, what? You're just, like, dressed up and having fun getting candy. But there, of course, is some concern when it does go dark. The horror movies, the the 
the gruesome nature. I'm not a fan of that at all. Mm -hmm. There are other people that wholeheartedly accept it, like no matter what. And then there are uh, groups of Christians that try to redeem Halloween, like try to do something Christian with it or something meaningful with it. I think for me where we've landed is where you're landing. This is one of the only times a year we see all of our neighbors. Yeah, We want to engage with them. We want to let our kids have fun. I do have a rule that our kids can't dress in like scary horror things. Like they need to have... So, I mean, they're boys, so they don't have to be super cutesy, but, like, I don't like dark. I don't like scary. So maybe that's my attempt to try to redeem Halloween. Do you dress up for Halloween? Always. Do oh, you yes. really? Oh, absolutely I dress up for and Halloween. And, like, you go all out. No, I don't really go all out, but I always wear a costume when I pass out candy to the kids. Or when What I are you take... wearing tomorrow? Oh, are you ready for this? This might be a little dark. I might be breaking my own rule. <laughs> you probably don't know this because there's a really famous Korean show called Squid Game. Have you heard of it? I know of it. I have not watched it. It's a little bit of a dark show. It's kind of a murdery show, but uh, Kevin and I are going as Squid Game characters. I tried to get my whole family to do it, but my boys would not. And you're just doing it at your house as people come? Yeah, or like when we're walking the neighborhood. We're not like having a Halloween party or anything like that, but these are the costumes that we're wearing. Okay, so you think Christians should celebrate Halloween? embrace. Yes, All right, that's the final word on Halloween from Pastor Brian from coming up next we are joined by Bree Stensred. She is a pro-life advocate, writer, speaker and author. She has a new kids book out called The Biggest Best Light which she co-hosts or co-wrote, excuse me, with Daniel Darling and um we're going to talk about how kids can learn to walk in who God has made them and how they can view other people that way as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. And we are so thrilled to be joined by sort of a friend of a friend, a mutual friend. B. Stenstrand is here. She's a pro-life advocate. She's a writer, speaker, author. Her passion is to create resources and content that equip Christians to engage more consistently and tangibly in holistic human dignity issues. We're talking about a book that she co-wrote with Daniel Darling called The Biggest Best Light, among a few other things that she's working on. So, Bree, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So I would love to just dive in and um, kind of take a step back before we dive into like actual content of your book. Tell us what gave you a passion for pro-life issues from a holistic perspective, because I think that's really interesting. Well, I think like most Christians, I grew up in the church, and if you're a Christian, you care about life from conception until death. Mm. And I think um, so many of us operate really off of this kind of traditional understanding, but more of like kind of a dictionary definition of what it means to be pro-life, and that really centers around kind of the abortion space. But then when I started creating resources really for the pro-life movement and being an adoptive mom myself and just getting really immersed in the connectivity of all the vulnerable people groups that Christ elevates in the New Testament, it just became very clear to me that the life ethic had to continue past the preborn and the orphan, and it just kept going. It was so all interconnected and biblically uh, founded and anchored. Yeah, and how do you, Brie, how do you have this conversation, say, with friends, neighbors, whatever? Right now, the abortion topic is so politically charged, right? It's so emotional right now. So even when you rub up against that, how do you suggest people even broach this subject where it's not like this just political firestorm? I think everybody is passionate about something because of an experience they have in their life. Mm. And so showing up, not to prove a point, but showing up to listen 
is probably the best thing that I could advise people to do. When you show up in a posture of humility and empathy and you start to really ask good questions, you be curious about why people are as passionate and charged up as they are, you really start to understand their why. Mm. why. Why do they talk this way? Why are they so passionate in this way? Why do they act the way that they do? And when you start to be curious and really listen well, then that really brings down the temperature of the entire conversation when you start to ask questions that might not necessarily get you to an end point at that moment, but you're building relationship Mm -hmm. equity in in order to have a deeper conversation later. Mm -hmm. I love that, Brie. All right, well, let's dive into this kid's book because it looks so, so delightful. The Biggest Best Light. You co-wrote this with Daniel Darling. Talk Talk to us about the book. The book is something I've been thinking about for a while, and it was just as we enter into this holistic pro-life narrative where we are caring about each and every human being as an image bearer, it just became so apparent to me that so many vulnerable people were living in the shadows of our, our community, in the shadows of the world, in the shadows of our government. Just so many people were being overlooked and devalued because mm-hmm. of, of our inability to see them as God sees them. Mm. And we know that each and every life was made in his likeness and that they have immeasurable value value and worth. And when we start to look at people as God does and we see him through the light that he has given us to see people, that changes how we respond, that changes how we show up in the world, it changes how we value people. So the whole goal of the book is to help our kids really see through all of those shadows that maybe we have all just culturally put around ourselves and other people so that we can love people better. Mm. And uh, that's such an important topic for us as adults right now, but why is it so important to get that into our kids to, for them to understand that more foundationally as they continue to grow? I think we grow up in our own little spaces and we have become such a busy culture And we have become very busy Christians. And I think a lot of us would, you know, attest to that we operate really in just a very small circle. And so a lot of times as our kids are growing up, they're seeing a lot of the same people that look just like them and talk just like them and think just like them. And their parents have the same amount of money as our parents. And you start to, you know, at no fault of their own, just not see people that are different than them. And so this book is trying to highlight that there is, a vast, vast world of people that God made, and they're going to think like they're going to think differently than you. They're going to look differently. Mm. They're going to exist differently, and yet they are still made in the image of God and have equal value and worth. And I think that's important for our kids, especially when um, some of their worlds are just very small. Yeah, oh, I absolutely love this, and I'm guessing that this is a um, a book for little kids. Is there kind of a target age range that would be appropriate as parents and grandparents are thinking about purchasing this book? Again, the title is The Biggest Best Light, Shining God's Love into the World Around You. What what age group did you have in mind? When I started writing this book, my son was two, and uh, my daughter is five years older than him, and now they are five and ten. And I would we sit down and read this you know, at bedtime. So Mm. I think elementary age is a great age for this. Love that. Yeah. Bree, thinking more holistically about or or bigger about the pro-life movement, Aubrey and I are both pastors, and I know it says you're you're passionate about creating resources and content to help Christians. What what is that resource? What what does that content look like 
that will help you know people in our congregation that will help pastors uh, have this congr- uh, this conversation with people in their congregations. You know, when I first started out in the pro-life movement, I was working at Focus on the Family, and I was over uh, church development, and then I moved into Sanctity of Human Life initiatives and resources. And so it was about really kind of expanding the intake of information we were caring about and also educating people on past the pre-born space. And so I think that, you know, there's a plethora of really great books out there that are written um, for a whole life perspective. I think that um, one of the things that as pro-lifers we tend to do is we kind of stay stuck in this um, this one space and we're reading just kind of single issue things. But if we want to dive into other resources that really make the continuum count, I think obviously your Bible is first and foremost. I mean, we go right to Matthew 25 and he talks about the whole scale and really all the different facets of people. Mm. So I think your Bible is the probably the least utilized in all of this, <laughs> you know, from research that so people tend to not read their Bibles as much anymore. So number one resource, <laughs> Brian, the Bible. There you go. I like the <laughs> um, answer. Yeah. But then second of all, there's just, there is a plethora of books to read, but I do think, um, I do think Christianity Today, I do think the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission with the Mm -hmm. SBC are doing a great job creating holistic resources and holistic content that are helping that. Timothy Keller is another great one to follow about this. He's got so much great information about how connected all these things are. That's so fantastic. Again, the name of this book, The Biggest Best Light is available wherever you get your books. The author is Bree Stensred. We've been talking with her about pro-life resources from uh, really from pre-birth all the way to death. And this book is really shining light on how everyone, even if they're different, are image bearers of God. It looks so fantastic. Bree, where can people find and follow you, find out more about what you're doing? Well, I'm the director of an advocacy project for immigrants and refugees right now. And so that group is Women of Welcome. You can find that online, womenofwelcome.com or on Instagram or Facebook. But then just me personally, that I'm and on Instagram as well, and that's Bree.Stenz, S-T-E-N-Z. So you can find me either place. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Bree, thanks so much for being here with us today. We, we've loved chatting with you. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Every Friday. We uh, bring a top five list, and there are all sorts of different things. Sometimes they have nothing to do with anything. What was uh, top five, you know, Marys or something like that? Last <laughs> week was top five Michaels, and I, oh, yeah, I surprised fun. you with the Archangel Michael. You did. That was solid. You won that one. But sometimes it's tied into whatever is going on this week. And as we've been saying, Monday is Halloween. And so a lot of you are out there purchasing candies. There are some, we should do a top five worst Halloween candies. Actually, that's a brilliant idea because there are some nasty ones out there. Yes, it would be easy. You'd list five and number one for everybody would be candy corn. Oh, see, no, 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 no. I like candy corn. I was going to say it'd be like, um, I don't like uh, like sweet tarts. Those things are nasty to me. Sweet uh, tarts, whatever they're Sweet called. tarts, they are called. Because yeah. they're both sweet and tart. Yeah, those are gross. I'm not a fan of <laughs> Okay. Those. But, no, we're going to go positive. And, Aubrey, we are going to do our top five favorite Woo-hoo! 
Halloween candies. Very excited about this. I told this. you we'll do it this way. Like when you dump out all the candy your kids are getting, yes. what are you stealing? Okay. What like are it. you taking? What is on that list? I've got five with three uh, honorable mentions. Wowza. You oh, like, and I keep you going. like candy, I don't you? I could keep going on this. Would you okay. like me to start? Yeah, I would love for you to start. Number five for me on the top five favorite Halloween candies, the Twizzlers. Okay, that will be on my list, but in a very different location. I'm a I Twizzler fan. Loved. Do you know what I've found lately? What? And this what? could be, it's become a running joke in our family. I've now gotten them every time we go visit Madeline. It's become a running joke because I stop at Walgreens and get these, including this past weekend when we were up at Hope and driving home. Let's hear it. Twizzler nibs, they're called. The little ones. The little ones. Yeah. I could eat those yeah. all day long. In fact, yeah. we had just eaten lunch, and I'm eating them, and the current Carrie's like, how are you hungry? And I'm like, I'm not. I just want these Twizzlers. <laughs> Do you want to know something? I went to the movies more than once this weekend. Did you really? And, and both times I got Twizzlers. I love Twizzlers. I love Twizzlers, and I love Twizzlers at the movies. There's something about that that's just So there's right another one of life. mine that's going to come up that I tend to get at movies. Okay. But I'm not going to tell you okay, right now because it's going to come up. Okay. All right, that's my number five. Okay. You up. All right. Uh, my number five is something you just said you don't like at all. And this one's hard because it doesn't always get passed out at Halloween because it doesn't come in individual packages. But I couldn't help but put it on my list. That is the candy corn. I like the pumpkin ones and the corn ones. I hate candy corn. Okay, that's fair. Which is, uh, yeah, I'm 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 okay with you liking candy yeah, corn. Yeah, I'm okay with you hating it. But I I do think, um, th- like if Carrie came home and was like, I love candy corn and I want to have it in dishes around our house, I do think that that would be <laughs> a marriage counseling moment. You'd be like, Who are you? Who did I marry? I I would think I didn't sign up for this. If you want to eat these quietly wow. in the in the corner or in the car, but putting okay. them in dishes, we are yeah. not going to be a candy corn family. Do you feel like? Can- <laughs> We will not be a candy corn Do family. Do you feel like candy corn and uh, Cadbury cream eggs at Easter are in the same category? Like you love them or hate them? Well, I, if I am example one, I hate okay, both of those. Okay, and I love Cadbury cream eggs. So that might be a, now, they're when, a similar, I mean, they're not the same at all, but it's in the same category. Now, you hate it or love it. Do you get to Easter time, Cadbury egg time? If you told me, if Carrie was like, hey, I want to put out dishes of jelly beans. You'd be good. Uh, not only would I be good, they would probably be all be consumed by me <laughs> within the first 24 hours because I love jelly beans. Okay. All right. All right. Number four for me, the 100 grand bar. Okay. Which one's that? Like, open it up and remind me. Chocolate. It, chocolate. Yes. Like. Um, Rice Krispies? Yes. Yes. Caramel. That's a good one. Love the hundred grand bar. I forgot bar. about the hundred grand bar. Man, you got a good candy And like a memory. little hundred grand bar like they're going to hand mm-hmm, out at Halloween mm-hmm. is perfect. Yeah. Love the hundred grand bar. Number four. All right. Number four for me is a good old-fashioned Kit Kat. I love a Kit Kat. I love the crunch, the like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the small ones. Like, I just need one little one in a package, and I'm good. I'm a fan of it. I feel a little guilty that the Kit Kat didn't even make my honorable mention. I do love the Kit Kat. Wow. I feel okay. guilty about this. Okay. But I'm going to own it. Didn't make my list, uh, but I do love a Kit Kat. Number three for me, we're going to go away from chocolate. Okay. We're going to go back to the sweet. Okay. Give me some Skittles. Oh, I don't like Skittles at all. Why? Do tell. Um, It's a really good, this goes really way back in my childhood. No, it really doesn't. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of Skittles. Like, if I'm going to have fruity candy, which I do like fruity candy a lot, that's just not the one I'm going to go to. You know what it is? I only really like the grape-flavored and there's mm. there's so few in the whole package 
I don't really like the red. I don't really like the green. So it's not worth it to me. That's interesting yeah. because I would always choose the red. Okay. All but, right. Okay. We can share a bag and we'd be fine. I do like the purple, yeah. but the red. But yes, okay. All right. You're anti-Skittle. Number three. Number three for me. Um, this is going to sound so weird, but I, and this is probably not the most popular candy with kids, but I like a Heath bar. I love toffee. And so toffee covered in chocolate is uh, definitely going to be on my list. Uh, the Heath bar is going to show up on my <gasps> honorable mentions. Oh, good. Okay. I'm I, glad. Love... I thought you were about to like rip me to shreds for that. No, 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 no. I love the, the Heath bar. The toffee is so good, right? I love the yeah. Heath bar. All right. Number two. Gosh, I love these next two. The Twix. Oh, yeah. Twix is so good. I kind of forgot about Twix or that would have been on my list. Twix I, are good. I could eat them and eat them. And yeah. Sometimes I eat them like separately, like the like the mm-hmm. cookie part like first and then the caramel. And other yeah. times it's just bite in. Yeah. There is. That is very close to the perfect um, candy bar for me is the Twix. Now, it's not going to be number one for me, but I do love a Twix. I'm kind of sad I didn't put Twix on mine now. You've just you've just sold that real hard, and I feel like I've kind of missed out on something. But all right, uh, so number two for me is good old Swedish Fish. How did that not get on my list? I love Swedish Oh, it's not on yours. I love the texture. I love the chewy. I love Swedish Fish. I love that fish. it can be a little, like it's chewy, but it's a little hard too, and the flavor is just yummy. I love Swedish Fish. Do you? And I really do. And you forgot it today. I did. Wow, disloyal. Brian. All right, but I disloyal. do have I do have four honorable mentions. All right, let's hear. Yep. In no particular order. I already told you Heath, the Heath yes. bar. Yep. Gummy bears. Gummy bears are awesome. Starburst. Nope, gross. Uh, Starburst and Skittles in my mind are the same. Can't do it. Whatever that flavor is, I'm just not a fan. And for candy and gum all matched up together, the blow pop. I forgot about the blow pop. I didn't have an honorable mention, but can I throw a Twix on mine? Because you gave a very compelling, convincing argument for Twix bar. You can. Okay, thank you. Because I love I the Twix. That. Are there any chances that you and I are going to have the same number no, one? No, 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 because we already know my number one was your number five. So I'll just say it. Mine's Twizzlers. I love oh, your Twizzlers. number one? They are my favorite candy. I mean, my real favorite candy, which we've talked about on the show before, is grape licorice. But no one's ever given that out for Halloween. So I couldn't I couldn't put that on this list. I forgot about <laughs> yeah. the conversation I, we had where you love all things grape-flavored. grape candy, especially grape licorice. But uh, no one's given that out for Halloween, so I'm going to go Twizzlers. I Twizzlers can... are my favorite Halloween candy. Not the black Twizzlers, no. not the chocolate ones that no, came out at no, one point. No, no, a no. good red Twizzler. Yes. It is, And it's better than a red vine for yes. me. It's better yes. than yes. any of the other brands. Preach. It is just a solid, solid piece this of licorice. This is right the most important, truthful thing you've ever said in two years on this show. <laughs> So this glad I want your approval, it. Brian. Yes, it is. Number one for me. It's number one on Halloween. It's number one at the movies. It's number one uh, in my heart. What is it? The Milk Dud. The Milk Dud. I love Milk Duds. I haven't had a Milk Dud in a long time. Have you noticed a theme for mine? I'm not a big chocolate person, but chocolate and caramel. Because that's what a Milk Dud is. A Milk Dud. That's a lot of what a Twix is. It's yeah. a lot of what a hundred grand is. Kind of a Heath. Kind Heath a is Heath. Uh, toffee, yeah. but it's kind of the yeah. same. Uh, there you go. Well, okay. it's Halloween is coming, and uh, we hope that you get all the candy That's right. that your heart desires. Coming up next, we're going to finish this show off with some good news. Some good news. Going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. It's Friday. It's the end of the week. You got Halloween candy to look forward to. And so we just want to send you home with some good news. We want you feeling good as you're heading into the weekend. 
and over at the week they aggregate good news stories from the previous week and we'd like to share them with you so brian i'm gonna share the first one i like this story a british physicist has written uh 1750 wikipedia bios wow. for overlooked women scientists before How- you read this can i tell you two quick things yes my mind i read british psychic Interesting. Which was a whole different, a different level. Different story. Different story. Physicist, not psychic. It does mess with me, and I'm not sure, especially older generation people, know that Wikipedia can be fake, can be real. Wikipedia. Can be made anyone up. can contribute to Wikipedia. Which she is in a good way here, yes. but be careful when be studying careful. Wikipedia. I think that's actually a really, really good point. Is like I could go on and just make a Wikipedia page about whatever I want right. to, or add to it, or edit it. So that's very important. She's doing something good. She Jess is. Wade, so go ahead, tell us the story. Jess Wade is on a mission to educate everyone with an internet connection about trailblazing women scientists. Wade, a British physicist, not psychic, spends her free time writing Wikipedia biographies for women in the sciences who should have entries but don't. Wade told the Washington Post she was inspired to start this project in 2017 after meeting American climatologist Kim Cobb. Wanting to know more about her, Wade went on Wikipedia and was astonished to see there was no entry. Wikipedia is used by pretty much everyone, Wade said, and she realized that despite it being this incredibly important resource, it was suffering from a lack of content, particularly about women, but also people of color. Since then, Wade has completed more than 1,700 pages for female and minority scientists and engineers, she told The Post. And she often spends her evenings reading journals, scientific papers, archived documents, and social media to find potential subjects. It takes Wade a few hours to write each Wikipedia entry, but she's not doing it all alone. She also teaches others how to research and put together pages during training workshops. Wade describes herself as a tiny fish in a massive sea, but she'll keep doing everything I can to make science a more accessible and inclusive place to be. I think there's a kid's book here, a kid's book of female scientists. Wouldn't that be cute? Uh, yes, or the superhero who who gets on the Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, second, there could be a story about her, Netflix or something. Oh, this is going to be a sweet one. For her next act, Texas grandmother becomes a commercial pilot. Come on. Tamarin Nicholas is back in the cockpit right where she wanted to be. Nicholas spent nearly eight years in the Air Force where she was a pilot who learned how to refuel several types of aircrafts. She was able to fly around the world, stopping in Guam, Australia, the Philippines, and Korea. But after the birth of her third child, it became too hard to balance her home life and career. I really actually struggled with it for a while after I'd walked away, just in that, you know, that's your identity, Nicholas told ABC News. After staying grounded for 24 years, Nicholas, now a grandmother, decided to return to the sky, taking a job as a flight instructor. She was then hired as a pilot by Southwest Airlines, where her husband has been a captain for 30 years and arranged to sit alongside his wife during her first flight. So sweet. Nicholas hopes her story encourages people to return to careers they once loved. If you've been away from it and think it's insurmountable, not attainable, take the first step. There's no reason you can't do it. Love that. There's a little bit of the cynical side of me that's trying to picture... Like, do you and Kevin argue when one of you is driving poorly? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What would that like be like in <laughs> an airplane cockpit That's a and scary. you're old, like your grandparents? Like, <laughs> like what are you doing? Yeah, I don't know if Just I want to be on the that window. flight. <laughs> <laughs> you slammed the brakes too soon. <laughs> Watch out. Yeah, I don't think I want to be on that flight, but that's cute. All right, uh, here's another fun story. A Minnesota community comes together to harvest crops for injured farmer. When Minnesota farmer Scott Legreed wasn't able to harvest his soybean crop, more than a dozen people showed up to get the job done. 
Lagreed was seriously injured in an August car accident when he swerved to avoid hitting a puppy in the road. Lagreed <laughs> went off the road and ended up breaking his collarbone, a shoulder blade, and seven ribs. Wow. Cracking two vertebrae and sustaining a collapsed lung and concussion. Oh, for the love, hit the Man. dog. <laughs> Hit the dog. <laughs> Ryan just said hit the dog, everyone. Doctors said he wouldn't be able to get on a tractor for several months. This was a problem because Lagreed runs his farm in the town of Frost almost entirely on his own. And the harvest from his 600 acres of corn and soybeans is his lone source of income. Once word spread in Frost, the population of 198, of what happened, one neighbor was able to recruit 18 farmers to help Lagreed. On October 4th, they arrived at Lagreed's farm with their equipment and in no time had the soybeans harvested. They will come back later this month for the corn. This is a busy time of year for farmers, so it meant the world to me, Lagreed told the Washington Post. But I guess I wasn't really surprised. I'm lucky to live in a community where people have always looked out for each other. Nice. I wouldn't have That's hit cute. the puppy. I. I know you wouldn't have actually hit the puppy. But it, no, it's one of these hard things. You would not have hit the puppy, but if you knew the ramifications of not hitting the puppy, you might hit the puppy. You might hit the puppy. Do you think really he swerved it to avoid hitting a puppy? I, I'm even a little like he was texting. Yeah, I'm like a little cynical about that part who, of the story. Who else saw him? Probably nobody. <laughs> right, so he was yeah. like, "Oh, that was that this, is I'll that say is it was peak a puppy. cynicism wow, out of you right wow. there." Wow, they're they're seeing our dark side today. Sir, were you they? texting and driving? <laughs> nope. Puppy. Oh, it was a puppy. A puppy. It was really cute. Mm-hmm. Number four, Indiana mom offers salon services for parents with babies in the NICU. Sarah Pulley knows what it's like to have a child in the neonatal intensive care unit and has found a way to bring comfort to other parents going through the experience. Four years ago, Pulley's daughter spent four months in the NICU. This inspired Pulley, a salon owner, to become a volunteer at the Ronald McDonald House family room at the Riley Hospital for Children in Indianapolis. These rooms allow families of sick children to take showers and have a quiet place to eat while in the hospital. And when Polly learned the facility wanted to start offering salon services there, I knew this could be special, she said. The beauty bar opened on September 14th with a chair donated by Polly and her free hair care products from one of her distributors. She will be there once a month, shampooing hair and offering scalp massages. And said the treatments are just as special for me. There's something about the connection between moms mm. and the power of touch. Oh, Great job. Great that's job. So beautiful. I love that. All right. Uh, number five. Oh, I saw this story and I was wondering about this. Anime Wong becomes first Asian American featured on U.S. currency. Oh, I didn't hear this. A new U.S. coin will make its history by honoring Anime Wong, a trailblazing movie star. The U.S. Mint announced it will start shipping quarters featuring an image of the actress, making her the first Asian American ever featured on U.S. currency. Wong, who died in 1961, starred in more than 60 films beginning in the silent era and became the first Chinese-American movie star in Hollywood. The coin is part of the American Women Quarters Program, celebrating distinguished women. And designer Emily Damstra said it was made to look like Wong is surrounded by lights, resembling a movie theater marquee. Wong was a courageous advocate who championed for increased representation and more multidimensional roles for Asian-American actors, U.S. Mint director Ventress Gibson said. This quarter is designed to reflect the breadth and depth of accomplishments by Anna Mae Wong, who overcame challenges and obstacles she faced during her lifetime. That's so fun. I love when new quarters come out, too. Yeah. So this will be a fun one. This Collecting. Makes, sounds like a good little collection. I well, like the good news stories. I like ending the day, ending the I week going, too. 
No, it's not all bad out there. There's like good things happening in the world. So it's very fun. We hope that encourages you as much as it encourages us. We hope you have a fabulous weekend. A good mischief night. A good mischief night on Sunday. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Cause some havoc in your neighborhood. Brian and I will be back again on Halloween on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.